Well, comedian W.C. Fields was once asked, what's the secret to a great Sunday sermon? And his response was, it's got to have a powerful beginning and a powerful end and not a whole lot in between. (laughs) So we're talking today as we look at this last name of Jesus about what is really in a name. We have talked about all the names that, uh, or most of the names of Jesus over the last couple of weeks, and today we're talking about Alpha and Omega beginning and the end, and and exactly what does that mean to say Jesus is Alpha and Omega beginning and the end. Well, I want you to wonder with me for a minute. Wonder what life would be like if you could figure it all out. Think about that all the questions that you have and the uh, things that go through your mind that you could have all the answers of the things that would be. Now think a little bit further and and wonder what it would be like if you could um, have all the power that you needed in life to accomplish those great things that you would like to see. Um, We welcome with uh, great excitement and anticipation when little babies come into the world. And when births happen, it just warms our hearts and, and we are devastated in grief at the end of life when one dies. We have life as Alpha, we have life as Omega, we have beginning and we have end, and Jesus Christ plays a part in all of this. On Easter morning, the disciples, uh, uh, they were shell-shocked. They, they were not understanding at all what had happened. And Jesus, who had gone to the cross, who had had a crown of thorns placed upon his head, who had had his flesh torn by beatings and words of mockery and humiliation, Uh, They couldn't understand that at the time of his death, what was coming next? They had seen Jesus in his ministry as Alpha, the beginning of a great movement of things that were happening. And then all of a sudden, just when they were getting excited about what this new ministry would be like and this life in Christ, they began to experience Omega, the end. They were distraught. They were confused. They weren't sure. So the question this morning is, why is it that we struggle to live in the margins of life? Sometimes we can say, well, we can handle the beginning of something, and and we can see what happens with that, and and over time, we can deal with the things that come at the end, like death or or disappointment, but it's it's the margin in the middle. It's those kinds of things that so often challenge us that knock us off the pedestal of where we are. God says that he can help us through those difficult times, and and that's an eternal promise that's made, that promise that he can help us, that in those harmful events that we find ourselves entangled in, we can trust, hope, and believe in the promise that not only is Christ with us, but he walks before us, he is with us in the current present, and he has been behind us all of the way. As Christians, our our life's objective should be singularly focused. It should be focused on looking as Christ and how Christ is formed in us. We should not be looking about how we pray. We should not be caught up in the words that we say. Are they religious enough or the kind of incantations and things that we do? But we should solely look at, is the power and the love of God vibrant to deal with my life circumstances, not only in yesterday or tomorrow, but also in today? Assessing the power of God um, isn't something that we just learn. Accessing the power of God is not some magical thing that happens. Accessing the power of God happens because we understand in some small way that God truly has the power and strength 
to make all things new again in our life. The Bible shares with us that, that when we go through life and we take those steps, that when we feel overwhelmed by tragedy or, or vulnerable by temptation or, or too weak to grow our character, or for that matter, when we feel timid or defeated or fragile, when we just feel beat up, when we feel like we don't have any faith at all, the Bible teaches us and it says that we can trust in God, not only in the beginning and the end, but in the margin in between. Uh, Robert Fulgham wrote a great book, Everything I Always Wanted to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Uh, probably Patty would say that's probably one of two books I've read in my lifetime. Um, and it only had one picture. But, but as I read that book, Fulgham said that the greatest thing that we could ever learn as a life lesson is uh, everything we needed to know we learned in kindergarten. So I'm going to take you back to kindergarten for a second, and we're going to learn the ABCs. And what I'm going to do is teach you the ABCs of how we see God's power and how we understand God's position with us, not only as alpha and omega, but in the margins in between. So the A of this process is that we have to admit that we're weak without God. Um, don't you agree with me that our, our natural reaction is that I can handle this? I can do this. I have the strength. I have waited a lifetime to, to deal with whatever this problem is in my life. And we go into that uh, fight or flight kind of persona, and we convince ourselves that we do not need to depend upon the help of anyone else, let alone God. But there's one thing that we have to remember. We can't be filled with the power of God until we first empty ourselves of the pretense that we can get by on our own. How do we get into the power of God? It's when we come about in our weakness. It's when we understand that by emptying ourselves and knowing I cannot do it all on my own, when I admit my faults and my failures, when I say and I'm convinced and confess that I cannot get through this tragedy in my life, when, that I cannot resist temptation, that I can't self-create my own character, that without some sort of outside intervention, I am nothing. And when we begin to make that kind of assessment, when we begin to make that kind of claim, we begin the process of understanding how to access the power of God. All throughout Scripture, we see examples about how people have humbled themselves. We see example upon example about through hum humbling oneself, through humility before God, and then admitting their weakness first, that God sees that humility, and out of that person's weakness, God overwhelms them with his strength. The Apostle Paul writes this in his second letter to the church in Corinth. He says, the Lord told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need, Paul. My strength comes into its own, into your weakness. And once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap, and I began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in and on my weaknesses. And now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations, the ones that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, um, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Did you hear that? The weaker that we get, the stronger that we become. The longer that we resist this obvious nature, that we're ultimately powerless by ourselves, then the deeper that we will sink into that muck. When we believe that we've got it all together, when we believe we don't need God's help, we will go deeper and deeper into the mire in which we are caught. And we can't catch God's strength in the midst of that because we're too busy straining to hold on to our own self-reliance. 
But when we acknowledge our weakness, when we give our troubles to Christ in our weakness, and through God's unwavering strength, we believe when the end has come that we will see something new and that all things would be made new again. Let me read to you our key scripture today. And it comes out of Revelation, and it's a reminder for us of something that's extremely powerful. I'm going to read out of Revelation 21. And this is um, a vision that John records um, after what the angel is saying to them. And this is defining Alpha and Omega about why we need to come to God, but more importantly, what God will do. Listen to what he writes. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first time, heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and with women, and God will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now listen to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to him who is thirsty, I will give a drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. And he and she who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. What an enduring promise that God has for us, that God is our strength. B, so not only do we need to admit our weaknesses that we can't do it without God, B, believe in God's power. Believe not only in his power, but believe he is present. It's one thing to try to wrap our minds around, okay, I believe that God is all-powerful, but we have to understand he is all-present as well. He never leaves us. Even though we cannot tangibly see Christ or God in our midst, we see him in our midst through people. We see him in our midst through creation. We see him in our midst even through our own circumstance. And once we recognize our own weakness, we have to remember God's promise. And that promise, again, Revelation 21.3, the dwelling of God is with his people. He will live with them. God never leaves us. He indwells in us. He abides in us. He connects in us. He promises that we will be his people. And God himself will be with us. And his promise is always, always, no matter what, to be our God. So all throughout Scripture, God has this uncanny track record of infusing his followers, those who believe, with the strength that is needed. And the Bible reminds us to, to keep the truth out in the forefront and those things in our mind. And it says to us, look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders that he has done, his miracles, the judgments that he has pronounced. In other words, let yourself be immersed in God let yourself have the strength of what God gave to David, of what uh, the undergirded strength that God gave to Daniel, the, the emboldenedness that God placed in Peter, and the tenacity that he gave the Apostle Paul. And remember that no matter what, whatever is happening in the margin, that God is with us always until the end of time. So the question for us becomes, we hear these words, but the question becomes, what about us? What about in all those moments when, 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 when we want to just do it our own way? We want it to just be business as usual. 
We want to do it on our own. You know, it's almost as if we conjure up ways to, to set ourselves up for failure when we do that. And so oftentimes when we, when we want to do it on our own and we want to kind of kick God out of the equation, and then when things don't get any better, then all of a sudden we find ourselves blaming God some, sometimes in the midst of that. Maybe what we ought to do is instead put God first in the equation and let his power and his presence see us through the situation in which we are. Because the question becomes, when it's me or you trying to take the bull by the horns, we have to be real about this. And the reason why we know we cannot do this alone is by these statements. Who of us in this room has raised the dead? Who of us in this room has turned water into wine? Who of us in this room has been resurrected in that portion in the first day and came and said, I am alive and I am he? None of us can say that. So we, we incorporate ourselves into the power of who God is. Let's look at C. Call upon God for the power that we need. Call upon God for the power. Many times we forget to call upon God. We call upon our therapist. We call upon our lawyers. We call upon our accountants. We call upon our doctors. We call upon our friends. But what about calling upon God for a change? What about calling upon God to get the answers to the solution that seeks the power from that and depending upon life circumstance when we find ourselves so overwhelmed by those things and we feel as though we're being defeated by that, we need to hold upon what scripture says and scripture teaches us even when we don't feel empowered, if we will just take a step forward in faith that out of obedience that we truly believe, if I just step out in faith that God will act and God's promise is if we step out obediently in faith, that he promises to move us in the direction of the resolution in which we seek. Taking a step of faith. Take that step of faith. Take it initially. Take it daily. Take it responsively to see what God is doing. When Jesus was praying in the garden, he was overwhelmed by all that was happening. Remember incarnation. Jesus was not only God, but he was also man. So we have divinity and humanity constantly wrestling in the body of Jesus the person. And Jesus is in the garden and he's praying and he's devastated by life's circumstances. He's devastated about all the things that he knows are happening. He realizes at any moment his good friend is going to betray him. He realizes in a few more moments that his good friend is going to deny him. He realizes in the greater moment that he is taking upon all the sins of humanity. And this is agonizing upon him. And the agony is so great and the burden is so overwhelming upon Jesus as he feels humanity's sin that something physiologically begins to happen to his body. And doctors and, and people who look at biology and those things, they say that, that Jesus was in shock as he took upon the humanity, of, uh, took upon his humanity the sins of the world because he began to bleed droplets of sweat. It was intense, it was powerful. But God gave the strength when strength was needed. What God had begun in Jesus Christ would now be complete, alpha, omega, beginning and the end. Jesus was able to endure a crown of thorns. He was able to endure the mocking. He was able to endure the beating. He was able to endure the spikes and the nails and the spears that pierced his flesh. He was enabled to do all of these things. And even in those moments when he cried out in, in, in agony, my God, where are you? 
He was able to finish by saying just those words. It is finished. I have accomplished in the Father's strength and power what I have been sent to do. That's the same kind of power that God makes available to you and me. When we walk down the road of suffering, when we walk down the road of pain, when we, when we find ourselves uh, too experiential in the disillusionment of the feelings that come with abandonment, we need to hold on to God. We need to hold on to our faith. And we need to hold on to faith even when we're not sure we're ready to believe. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, was an Anglican priest. And one of the great things that he struggled with, our confirmants will tell you this, one of the great things that he struggled with early on was the fact that he himself was loved by God that Christ died even for his sins. And Wesley struggled with that. And he came upon some friends, German Moravians, and they basically looked at him and said, John, say it until you'll believe it. Do it until you'll believe it. Do it all and say it all until it actually becomes you. And that's what God is saying to us when we're not sure, when disillusionment, when the, when the messiness of the middle comes, when the margins are out of whack, when we're sure that we're not sure we can move forward. Step out in faith. Let God. Faith isn't faith unless it's the last thing that we're holding on to. And God says, step out in faith. As I mentioned earlier um, in our service, Pastor Pam's life changed this week. Having dinner with her husband, having a great conversation, and then all of a sudden life was never the same again after that. And all throughout the week, trying to care for and nurture and to figure out and to see what was going to happen. You know, life does that to us, doesn't it? We're here one day and we're excited and things are going well and our families are healthy and, and kids are healthy and the job is going well and the mortgage is getting paid, our loved ones are living, and then next thing that we know, it's the complete opposite. But what we find through this is that great things happen when we understand God is Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, and the one who lives with us within the margins. Pastor Pam was actually the preacher today, and her sermon was ready, and, and was ready to go, and she was ready to deliver a message, and then when all this happened, it became evident that obviously she couldn't today. But she asked me to promise to read to you a small line of, of a portion of a message, and one day, uh, she said, one day she'll, she'll give that message, and we'll look forward to hearing that. But here's what she said. She said, you know, the words that, that needed to be reminded was that in life circumstances, when they come and we wonder if our Lord is, is just there with us in the beginning or, of life or in the end, or is he really in the in-between? So here's what she writes. She said, Pastor Bob reminded us during his Easter message that the worst thing is never the last thing. I was supposed to preach this Sunday on Jesus, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last the beginning and the end. But I won't be preaching, but I'd like to share a short version. She writes, Our Lord was there in the very beginning, the Word made flesh, who was with God and is God. And he'll be there in the end, like Revelation 21.5 says, and will make everything new. The trouble is that we weren't there at the beginning, and the end hasn't come. We live in the messy middle where husbands have strokes, Kids get cancer. Babies go home to God before we have a chance to raise them up. Where divorces, foreclosures, poverty, and all the other stuff that makes us want to shout, God, where are you? And what kind of love is this? And this is the answer that I'm learning right now. 
this very minute. Jesus is indeed the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. But he's also with us in the messy middle. He's with Bruce and me right now, and he's with you too. I love you guys. Today our students are confirmed in the church. And this is a, not just a rite of passage. This is a bona fide proclamation of their faith that even at an early age, they know who God is, that they realize that, that Jesus had a purpose and continues to have a purpose in their life. And as they take these vows and they understand, they also realize that their life is full of risks and that every day they're going to have to make risks and they're going to have to step out in faith and they're going to have to stretch themselves when it comes to learning and exercising more about God's grace. When, when I confirm them today, when we confirm them, their journey didn't end. It just began. And from this day forward, they're living a life that is transitional. They're living a life that has new meaning and new purpose. Each day an invitation is gonna to come to these young folks just like it does to you and me. And the question will be, what choice will we make? What choice will they make? Will we continue to, to walk along the path that God calls us to, a path of love and generosity and emboldenment in the life of Jesus Christ? Or will it be to mirror off the path and instead find ourselves wandering in a wilderness? The point is clear that Christ has a higher calling, not only for our confirmants, but Jesus Christ has a higher calling for you and me. And he commands us. He doesn't recommend, he doesn't suggest. Folks, he commands us to live into the higher calling that he has placed in our life. And what that means is that being a Christian, what it means is being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus Christ is going to require and demand that we take risks and it's going to require us to stretch ourselves beyond the things that we think that we believe, push us over the limits of things that we're comfortable with so that we can inevitably reach the goal of being a true disciple of Christ. And as we struggle and as we strive for that, we realize that we are not exempt from harm. We are not exempt from failure. We are not exempt from all the things that come from our way. And more importantly, that yes, fears will come with us. And the question is, when we have those fears about what life is bringing, will we have the strength to fall upon the love of God? And as we fall upon the love of God, we will see our faith grow immeasurably. Charles Blondin was a, was a, a miracle in the 1800s, and, and uh, he was a, a tightrope walker, and he did some spectacular things. And the one thing that he's most known for is his walk across Niagara Falls. He stretched a, a line from the States over into Canada, and he was 164 feet up in the air. And for several days, he walked back and forth on that line by himself. And all of a sudden, the crowds began to dissipate a little bit. They saw that he could do it with no problem. So Blondine thought, I need to do something differently. And he brought out a pair of stilts. And he put the stilts on, and he walked across the high wire, 164 feet above Niagara Falls, on stilts. And all of a sudden, the crowd began to gather again. And they were ooing and aahing at what he did. And he took a stove, and he actually walked across with the stove and cooked an omelet along the way. And as he's going back and forth and back and forth, he finally gets the idea, I'm going to bring a wheelbarrow across. And he brings a wheelbarrow across to the line, and he stands in front of all the people gathered, and he says, would you like to see me take the wheelbarrow back over again? They're like, yes. He said, do you think I can do it no matter what? Yes. 
He said, do you think I can do it with, with somebody else in it? They're like, yes. And he said, who wants to go? <laughs> Nobody. Like crickets in the room. They didn't have the faith. They had the faith because they saw him, but they weren't willing to risk. And today, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, Jesus Christ calls us to risk. He calls you all to make a difference, to be his ambassador in the world and to be the light of Christ. And, and it reminds you and me of our role to be an ambassador in the world and a light of Jesus Christ. That no matter where we worship or what church it's at, we are called by God to make a difference. You know, having faith in Jesus Christ is the pivotal point of our life. So don't only trust him in the beginning of life and don't only seek him and trust him in the end of life, but remember, in the margins in between, he is with you.